welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast, <laughs> somewhat regular in the off-season, is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 15th of January, 2018. Yes, Scott, I got the year right in our first show of the calendar year. And this is episode 223. Hey, it's Martin Luther King holiday. Congratulations on being off of work, all you federal government employees. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. On today's show, we will try in some way, shape, and form to rustle up some Orioles news. We're going to lay you down on the fainting couch and get a little clinical with you. I'm uncomfortable. Well, that's what I was going for. I'm uncomfortable, and I know whether or not you're clothed. And we'll do all that right after we'll lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what is on your lips? Uh, Jake, I am doing an organic Sam Stout, um, Sam Smith Stout, um, nice chocolate beverage. Um, pretty nice. Pretty nice. Again, if you're into chocolate stouts, highly recommend. Okay. Well, I, I brought a cornucopia of culinary delights this evening. Okay. Um, I have a, a rum and Coke, uh, okay. which I'm, I'm nursing my way through now. I brought some gin and tonic to make a, <clears throat> Gin and tonic. As you do. I also, depending on how the conversation goes this evening, it, it all depends. I also brought a Bud Light Lime, one, to make you angry, and two, to punish myself if things should go too poorly. Gotcha. So um, we're going to be in tears later on at the end of the show. I think gotcha. it's possible. I think okay. it's possible. Um, if you want to know what Jake is drinking, and hopefully it's not Bud Light Lime, you can follow him at... I'm at Jake E 4025 You can follow me on Untapped at M-E-G-N-8606. With that, Jake... Unfortunately, we're going to have to dabble on over into the medical wing. I can tell you right now, Zach Burton's wife was not giggling. You know what? I even forgot to put uh the medical wing in the show notes tonight right you wanted to preclude that from your memory like oh that didn't actually happen did it can we just talk for uh for just a second zach Britton. obviously it's a bummer right yes you, you want you prefer to have zach Britton, but he's gonna pitch for the baltimore orioles this season is he i think he is i think should uh, he <laughs> here's the thing <laughs> if the orioles were going to be playing meaningful games in August. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it would be nice to be getting uh, Zach Britton back for August, September, October. Sure. I'm not sure that's going to be relevant. Right. Um, but I do think it's possible that Zach Britton pitches. Uh, whether or not he should, again, if they were in the playoff hunt, that would matter. That would be that would be a, a factor. Um, but they're going to pay him $12 million. Yeah. $12 million. Let's come back to this later in the show, because I want to talk about $12 million. It is the uh, Miguelito complex that we'll have to get into at a later point. Um, It is a complex Miguelito. You want to go to 280 characters or less? No, I prefer to return back to the time when it was just 140 this week on the Twitters. Uh, Scotty, a new baby, a new one has to eat. And that is important. Jim Palmer shared the news, at least with me. Congrats to Brooke, Caleb, Joseph on their baby girl, Nora Ellington, Hashtag no crying in baseball at Mass and Orioles. Of course, Jim Palmer tweets at Jim Twenty Two Palmer. Good for the uh, good for the Josephs, and uh, hopefully that baby eats because the Orioles are going to need it. I guess this means the testicle's still working. The testicle. 
the next tweet comes into the territory of there's probably a lesson here considering what the Orioles have left. This uh, tweet comes from Dan Simbrowski, former Baltimore Orioles fan. Uh, <laughs> the, the return from McCutcheon is underwhelming, but honestly, McCutcheon's trade value wasn't that high either. Okay. I, I, I think this is the same aspect where um, if people think that, uh, let's say halfway through the season, that there'll be any value for like a player like Adam Jones, for example. Um, I, I think looking at what the Pirates got back from McCutcheon is pretty much what you're going to get at the best case scenario. Scott, you don't understand how this works. You are such an amateur. I am. We give them our trash. We take their treasure. This is how trades work. I'm sorry. Andy McPhail is no longer the GM of the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles. All right. This is a tweet that comes from Camden Bird uh, at Camden underscore Bird 33. How Andy Etcheberry and Terry Crowley are not in all caps, in the Orioles Hall of Fame is a mystery to me. Both were important role players during our glory years and, again, all caps, they spent many years coaching within the organization at Orioles Advocates at Jim 22 Palmer. Uh, Good points. This is a good point. Especially interesting to me, considering that between 1998 and 2001, there was basically nobody worthy of consideration, right? Um, Which is, I think, interesting for two reasons. First, I, I wonder how players like Echebarren and Crowley and some of the others uh, will be considered when the Orioles advocates start considering, you know, role players from the current quote unquote glory years of the Orioles. Um, and secondly, once you start churning through all those candidates that don't exist from the dark ages, they're going to have to go back to people like Andy Echebarren, right? I, I think so. Absolutely. Also, these people are going to die. They are going to eventually die. You're and absolutely when that right. Happens, they'll probably get voted in. Uh, you're right. They probably will get voted in, and it'll be ultimately sad. Um, I got one more tweet that I want to cover, um, and and perhaps this is a good idea. Um, at Utah, uh, actually Utah Street Report at Utah ST Report uh, tweets as following: Good grief, log off, Adam. And of course, this comes back to this whole this week on the Twitter, or in fact, this whole month on Twitter. Could have been the aspect where Adam Jones has got an end to Twitter and uh, apparently has found his password once again and has decided to start uh, tweeting uh, fans and tweeting gifts. Listen, Adam, you play a, a a serviceable center field. Leave the gifts and the witty marks to uh, hear us, us sit here at Bird's Eye View, and we'll go from there. The number of Fs given by Adam Jones at this point uh, over social media? Zero. Zero. Absolutely zero. Uh, Jake, I, I, I do have one more thing that I, I think we failed to cover. Um, and this is an important one, I think. Um, so I'm going to have one additional thing to this week on the Twitters, if you don't mind. Bonus. That's right, Jake. It's time for the hashtag Brian Roberts watch. This is an impressive callback. <laughs> All right, from Baseball America, just posted this evening. It's always been hard for Mike Roberts to admit just how good his son Brian Roberts was. And it goes into 1997, freshman of the year, Brian Roberts keeps surprising his coach. This is a really deep callback. (laughs) By the way, if you weren't listening to Bird's Eye View in 2012 and 2013, this means nothing Nothing to you. you. Yeah. Brian Roberts was pretty good. Brian Roberts was pretty good, but you know who was better? His wife. His wife. Yes. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you want to add to this week on the Twitter? I, any I think, more, I any think more Brian said, Roberts watches or anything of that regard? I think we have said everything we can possibly say 
uh, about the Twitters this week. Hey, Orioles fans, uh, Orioles Twitter, get it together. Be a little more interesting. I was, we, Scott and I were scraping the bottom of the barrel this week. Literally scraping the bottom of the barrel. Entertain us. That is what you are for. Because certainly the front office isn't going to do that. Jake, let's go around the bases and find out what exactly has been going on with the Orioles since we last left them. It'll be a slow walk. All right, Scotty, I've got to admit, I I hate the off-season schedule. Like, I, I like podcasting. I like hanging out uh, in SD Studios, drinking with you, and talking sports. I, I, I just dislike going down to monthly shows. I get I get an itch on Monday night. Um, but we do it for a really good reason, and tonight is that reason. Man, the Orioles are doing next to nothing. And when I say next to nothing, I mean, I'm not really that interested in Orioles minicamp when they haven't made any moves. There's really just not a lot going on, unless you want to regurgitate how upsetting it is that there's nothing going on in the starting pitching uh, front, which we'll do. Or if you want to talk incessantly about what's going on with Manny Machado, which, which we'll do. But outside of that, there's really not a whole lot going on. So uh, with that, let's just hit a couple of the high spots of what may or may not be worth talking about here uh, in relation to Orioles baseball. And that's our show, everybody. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> See you again next month. Um, it's been a slow off season. All right. The, the hot stove is turned way down here in Baltimore. Well, not just in Baltimore. I think in Major League Baseball in general, um, it's been one of the slower off seasons in, in, in recent nature. In fact, when we came into this offseason, I actually predicted that, um, the Orioles should get involved earlier rather than later because I thought the off, I thought the, this offseason was going to be a bunch of people are going to sign in November, December, and there's going to be nothing left in January, February. And to date, um, I've sorely been proven wrong. And perhaps that is due to the amount of trades and people that have been out there in terms of being trade bait, um, where people have said, well, let's hold off until we need to make a call until all trades can be finalized. And it's something that we're maybe a little more used to here in Baltimore because that's just the MO of our front office as it's currently constituted. But I do think it's weird that all of baseball seems to have said, well, let's just, let's just see for a minute here. I, I have two Two questions, I guess, to see if anything can can explain that. The first, is there anything to be said that clubs like the Orioles, and I'm not saying it's the Orioles, I'm saying clubs like the Orioles, have had moderate to good success with finding diamonds in the rough late, like a Nelson Cruz, uh, have found diamonds in the rough late in the, in the uh, offseason, and other clubs are trying to you know, hit on that market efficiency? <coughs> no. Okay. Right. Next question. <clears throat> do you think it has anything to do with the fact that the numbers in baseball are just stupid crazy and people are a little more budget conscious? Yes, I do think this is the case. I think that you have seen um, plenty of teams basically um, take an active interest in the luxury tax and has specifically looked at the aspect of saying we do not want to be committing um, dollars and putting ourselves into a unnecessary bond for the luxury tax, not even so much for this year. But also next year when the banner free agent crop comes out, not to say that this free agent crop is not good. I would consider this free agent crop to be much better than it was last year. But everyone is looking also ahead to next year and making next sure year's pants wedding excitement. Right next year, it's going to be the aspect of people are starting to put together not their 
their rosters for just 2018, but going forward. So people are looking at that luxury tax aspect. And as much as people like to berail the aspect of, well, there's no salary cap in baseball, there are certain teams operating under that aspect in guise of, hey, we don't want to cross this threshold because of the um, unnecessary payment that we would have to make as a courting. If you don't think that the the luxury tax means anything, the fact that the New York Yankees are paying attention to it means that it's meaningful sure right i mean they're they're the team that has more money than god and right. if they're paying attention to the luxury tax then then it is in some way but you don't even have to look that far you can just look to the south i mean the, the washington nationals are a clear team that is showing examples of looking at the luxury tax and also looking to see how it is going to impact them not just for this year but in years to come if they are going to look to sign bryce harper which i don't think is going to happen they're looking to basically figure out what's the best way for them to go forward doing this. You lost me and you're ne- going to need to go back. Washington Nationals. <laughs> yeah. So they're a local team that actually is much better than the Orioles. So the team that has just a fraction of the mass and income that the Orioles do is concerned about the luxury tax. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, it's because I'm not, not sure if they're going to get that MLB loan. I'm not really good with, with math. That They have a smaller chunk than we do, right? Right. Smaller. They do. Yeah. Smaller. And ours is and ours is bigger, bigger, yeah. And and they spend more, right? And they win more, yes. And ours is bigger, yes. Our button is bigger when it comes to Masson, uh, allegedly, as per a tweet. But it does not work. No, apparently not. As well, not as well. Hmm. Do you think it has anything to do with our dear leader? Mm, it may be, although he is a sane genius. <laughs> not he's a sane genius, but he's not a stable genius. No. Anyway, um, that's all that asbestos. Here's the thing. Yes. Uh, it's really boring right now with the, with the Major League Baseball um, uh, offseason. But I think that we're going to have like a three-week period where things are just going to be crazy. I think that once it gets to like early February, it's going to be nuts. I agree with you. I, it's going to get pretty pretty nuts pretty quickly because people are going to want to sign going into spring training. And here's the thing. It's going to be really exciting. right? Yeah. I'm gonna, it's going to be super cool. But it is going to piss me off because you know all the fun stuff is going to be happening when I'm in a meeting. Right. Oh, absolutely. My, my phone is going to rattle its way off the desk, and I'm be like, "Damn it, I'm missing it. I'm missing everything." Yes, I, I, that is one of the things that I'm just like, something's got to happen eventually, and it's all going to happen all at once. And when it does, it's going to be pandemonium. It's going to happen. My battery's dead. All yeah. right. Um, next topic. I want to talk about something frustrating that I read from Rock, and we'll put the link into his his uh, blog post. This was a uh, uh, his- just one of the blog posts. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's a lot of frustrating just, things. Just this one. Just this yeah. one. Uh, this has this had to do with starting pitching. Uh, and Rock uh, uh, says as follows: An issue for the Orioles as they try to fill out their rotation has been the poor medicals on some of the starters that they're considering, according to his source. I don't have any names to pass along, unfortunately, but multiple pitchers have raised red flags and lowered the number of arms available to the club. The free agent market is underwhelming. After you remove you Darvish, Jake Arrieta. Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn, assuming none of them are going to sign for fewer than four years. Executive Vice President Dan Duquette pretty much nicks the possibility of the Orioles offering more than three years to a pitcher. Okay, Scott Magnus. Here's the thing. The last time we got together, uh, last month, when also nothing was happening, we talked about what to do about starting pitching. And we said, you know what, just write off those those frontline top pitchers. Not happening here in Baltimore. And okay, We'll make do with that, right? No you Darvish, no Jake Arrieta. The front line is just not happening. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. But now we seem to be writing off the second-tier pitchers. Yes. Right? The the Alex Cobbs, the Lance Lins, the people that, frankly, I think the Orioles should be taking a good hard look at. They're just, you know what, forget it. That's that's not, just not happening. And with the scraps that are left, the scraps that don't even get named because there aren't names, 
there are medical concerns and whether or not they're real medical concerns or whether or not this is a case of the Orioles being overly cautious, that is a frustrating thing. That makes me feel like we're going to end up with a slate of Chris Tillman's and Wade Miley's and be told to hope. And that sucks. It does suck. And you can see it happening. And I think you look at the aspect of all the talk that has happened on mass and in from Buck and you just say, oh, they're going to roll with Hunter Harvey this year as one of their starting pitchers, which makes absolutely no sense. This comes back to the same aspect that we talked on the show about the Dylan Bundy scenario. But the Dylan Bundy scenario was a completely different aspect at the time. Dylan Bundy had no options. He could not go to the minor leagues. And instead, you know, they're talking about the same way for Hunter Harvey, who still has options, who has never pitched above high single A. And they're going to say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and, and, and try it out. I don't know why I'm surprised by this to be upset because, you know, when you're upset with something, part of it is surprise, right? Sure. But it's really frustrating. Like nothing's happened and I'm already frustrated. Ugh. It, it is um, deeply disappointing is the best way to describe it because you shake your head and say, you should be better than this. That's, you should be better than this, but you're not. That's it. I'm opening the Bud Light Lime. All right. Look what you made me do. Let, let the tears commence, everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean... You, you look at Yuck. you look at the starting pitchers that are out there. You knew you weren't going to get Darvish. You weren't going to get Arietta, and then you look at you know Cobb, and you look at Lynn, and you're just like, okay, they're okay, but again, they're not going to move the needle significantly. And it comes back to my point, which I made in the last podcast: unless the Orioles do something significant, they're not going to be able to be able to compete with the Yankees and the Red Sox, who are going to post you know 93 to 96 wins this season. Which is okay if you act like you're a team that's not going to win. Right. Right. Exactly. But if you're not, you're just going to say, eh, we'll go in there and, and see what happens. Searching for 500 does you no good, especially when you could be losing a talent such as Manny Machado and getting nothing back for it. And, you know, it's really funny because there was a time for 10 years where you were just like, God, I'd love to see this team be 500. Yep. And now, you know, after six years of not losing, your perspective is, no, actually, that's a meaningless thing. It doesn't matter if you're not winning. Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting thing. Look, is there anything else going on? You here, you take the scraper, grab the bucket. Is there anything else that is going on right now? I mean, we teased it earlier in the show, but do you want to talk about Britain and his twelve million dollar arbitration deal? Yeah, I do a little bit. Okay, so he's um he may pitch this season. Yes, and you asked the question. It's a good one. Is it a good idea? Right. Are you asking? Is it a good idea for him for his career? Or are you asking, is it a good idea for the Orioles to spend resources on what he might be for the period of time that he could pitch? So I, I, I think it's worthwhile for the Orioles to um, at least come to an agreement on arbitration at this time. However, I would really like to see how the recovery goes for the next, we'll call it four months. And then what I would say is right before opening day, a decision needs to be made about how the recovery is going. If Zach Britton's not available until June, I would immediately waive him and basically take the sacrifice and basically pay, I think it's 20% off his salary at that time. And you'd be saving a, a ton of money in the process. Um, if he is going to be available beforehand, we'll call it late April, early May, I absolutely bring him back. Because if you bring him back in May, pitch him in May and June, you're going to be able to have a trade market for him in July, is my opinion. But I think it really depends on how well his recovery goes. You know, it's going to be four to six months, basically, for an Achilles tear. So there is a possibility that he could come back early enough where he could establish some value. But I think that's a big if in terms of his recovery. And if he doesn't recover in time for opening day, I think it would be behoove the Orioles to consideration similar to what they did with Miguel Gonzalez saying, 
we don't think this player is going to have a significant value for our team moving forward. We're going to try to save some money and use it in other places. Yeah, I mean, and the only other option there is at some point, if you feel good about his recovery, if you feel like Zach Britton is going to be Zach Britton because of what you're seeing on the rehab, uh, maybe you resign him, right, to a multi-year deal that may be club-friendly because, you know, because he's hurt, at which point you have a trade chip. If you're if you're not gonna that's a that's a possibility, but what I would say to that is if you look at the contracts such as like Wade Davis got earlier this yep. offseason, I think Zach Burton isn't even coming close to considering the aspect of a club friendly deal. I think Zach Burton has enough in his portfolio now where he's easily going to get a three year deal with somebody for twenty eight to thirty five million dollars. But you don't think that the two years, two consecutive years of injuries hurts that value? I think it might knock it down a little bit compared to the 15 plus million dollars that some of the relievers are getting, mm-hmm. but I could easily see Zach Burton getting a three year, $30 million deal. Okay. All right. Um, Would I give him that money? No, but I could see a team doing it like the Colorado Rockies. They just seem to love relievers right now. They are in 2007 Orioles mode right now and saying, you know what, Michael Gonzalez, we're going to go ahead and give you a ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. You, you love Michael Gonzalez, right? Love him. Like when he gives up opening day blown saves. You can't hurt me, Scott. <laughs> this team is going to disappoint me. I don't need to look back at previous disappointments. I have the 2018 Orioles to look forward to. So that was the most interesting thing to me, at least, was the Burton arbitration standpoint. More so from the aspect of I expected them to make the arbitration arrangement with Burton. Mm-hmm. I'll just be more interested to see what's the eventual fallout yeah, from next? it in, in terms of it. How this, about you? Anything else interests you from arbitration? Uh, not really. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, they, they seem not to have, uh, made a deal with Scope and Gosman at this point. Um, and, you know, it used to be that they just wouldn't go to arbitration. They just wouldn't do it. Um, but now recently having done so with Brock and Joseph with mixed results, um, you know, maybe they're willing to have those conversations. It's also possible that maybe they didn't have guys worth going to arbitration with. Um, also, you know, Manny Machado, $60 million. Does that number mean anything? The only thing I would say with Machado's number is if you look at it in comparison to Donaldson, who got a similar Mm -hmm. or got a higher arbitration number, it's odd that Donaldson got 23 and Machado got 16, which again kind of emphasizes to me of if you really thought that you could actually come back and re-sign Machado, you would have made him some kind of overture. Um, Them kind of settling at $16 million, which – is not a bad number, but it's not a great number for Machado. Makes me think that this pretty much is a foregone conclusion now that Machado is gone at the end of the season. Yeah, and here's the thing: if you're Machado, what what do you care about this year? You're gonna you're gonna make monopoly money next year, <laughs> so you can just go ahead and take whatever the club's going to give you, right? Because it's you know it's pocket change regardless. I think it's just a confirmation on the relationship that is between both player and the club at this point, and it's it's not even just the aspect of a big deal; it's more of just a. Yep. Yep. Okay. That's just, yeah. that's just a, that's a reaffirming value. Basically he's going to free agency no matter what. And, right. and you know what? He's said so many of the right things. Uh, you know, I'm thinking specifically about, about, uh, fan fest last yeah. year, you know, just talking about his, his desire to be with the organization. The fact that this is the only organization he, you know, he's, he's doing all that. Right. And it could be when you're a generational talent like Manny Machado that you just do free agency because that's what you do. So there may not be any necessarily malice there. I don't want to sure. make it sound like, oh, $60 million, he and the club are at odds. Personally, I think it's great because when Bryce Harper signs with the Orioles next year, it'll be all good. No, you see, because the Nationals, they, they have a smaller pot 
Oh, of gotcha. the Mouse and Money. Right. So and if if Harper wants more money, he'll sign with the Orioles. And they spend more. Right. And we have a, a bigger button. Right. Smaller. Smaller. Do you think there's any aspect where if Scope and Gossman have not been offered a deal for arbitration, maybe it's due to the Orioles trying to get an extension hammered out? On either of them? Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. Um, only because that would show any kind of direction and for, planning. Oh, forethought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think they're... No, that's no. not happening. No, not even a little bit. All right. Well, that was optimistic. Yeah. Um, we, we've talked about this briefly before, um, sure. so I don't want to rehash too bad. Uh, you can go back to episode... Um, where we talked about uh, expansion in Major League Baseball. You're starting to hear some more rumbles about baseball expanding to sure. a 32-team uh, format with a, with a re- realignment to go along with it. We, we talked about what realignment would look like, and I think in our scenario, it was Montreal and Portland. Uh, Montreal, Portland would be two excellent examples. Yes, but uh, regardless of that, my question is this, and I think I think that you and I may may disagree here. Can Major League Baseball make two more small market teams work? Uh, yes. All right. Teach me. What? Why is that the case? Well, Montreal is obvious. Like, there's enough of a market up there that they can easily make it work. I mean, Portland again is easy for the do. I mean, there's other ones that you could potentially do too. Like Charlotte is a really good example mm-hmm. of yeah. a market that. Um, would be of interest. Um, Mexico City is interesting, but I, I don't think that if they're going to a regional format from a division standpoint, I don't see how Mexico City can work. I mean, Mexico City is a long way away. I mean, as much as people are like, oh, it's Mexico. Mexico City is a long flight. I mean, I just don't see that happening. It's also high altitude. And so just right. like Denver, you're going to go into, into Mexico City and feel like you can't breathe and you can't lift your arms. Um. I get the fact that there are other cities, but when you look at small markets in baseball, and I would consider Montreal to be a small market. Sure. And I, uh, I'm not sure if I would consider Montreal to be a small market. For baseball? Oh, no. I think it would be a huge market for baseball. Okay. Let me just side sidestep that whole thing. Let's go back to Portland or yeah. Char- Charlotte, any of those sure. American cities. You may have a small and devoted group of people that are desperate to have a major league baseball team show up right like baltimore right but how many of those fans are going to remain if the team doesn't win i think it comes back to and this is what we talked about for baltimore is it's not about the fans it's about the surrounding area in terms of what businesses are going to buy into it there will be a ton of businesses that will buy season ticket plans and suites in montreal just like that Charlotte is another example where I think there's a ton of business going on in Charlotte. Particularly in the banking sector. Yeah. And then another area that, you know, I think is something that get consideration. I mean, Portland's another great example too. But like even like Nashville. Nashville has a ton of upcoming booming business that they could easily go back and say, okay, we're willing to do it. I mean, you look at, for example, the NHL with the Nashville Predators. NHL, is that? That's the guy with the, the sticks and on the horses. And is that the one they play in horseback yes. or the one they play in the pool? Both, actually. Okay. But Nashville is such a booming aspect of they have enough individuals that are coming into that city where they could support it very well in terms of just the corporate structure. And this is the one thing that Baltimore is severely lacking is they've got a fan base, and we'll put this in quotation marks, but you look at the amount of businesses that are going to buy season tickets, and there isn't a lot of Fortune 500 businesses within the Baltimore area. But we're talking about tickets as if that's the thing that makes a team solvent. Sure. And right now— and I don't think it'll be the case always, but right now, 
the thing that writes the checks for Major League Baseball is regional sports networks. Absolutely. Right? Um, and so if you look at a, a city like Charlotte, and you look at a city like... So Charlotte's number 22 media market in the United States. Right. And Nashville and Portland and whatever. Portland is the 25th market in the United States. Right. And so we're moving into this... Nashville's the 29th. Right. We're moving into the 20-plus right. area. Baltimore, the last time I checked, was like 15, or 18. Baltimore's 26 now. Okay, so that's dropped down. Yes. If cities like Kansas City and Baltimore and, I don't know, Cleveland. Cleveland's a bad example because they've run one recently. But you look at these small markets and you look at what their regional sports networks can support. Sure. I worry about a place like Nashville or Charlotte. I don't know enough about Canada to make an argument in, in this area sure. about Montreal. But Portland, I worry about all those cities being able to support a major league baseball team in the way that the money works right now. Now, you know what? That may change. Once sure. the cable bu- bur- uh, bubble bursts and, and MLB finds another teat to suck on, I think maybe comes, they do. And I think it comes down to we can't just look at markets. So, for example, like if we're just looking at top markets, for example, we would go and say, let's look at Philadelphia. Philadelphia, again, when the team is really good, booming ticket sales mm-hmm. when the t- team is not very good tv ratings plummet ticket sales plummet you come back to miami miami right now is the number 16 market in the country again if the team is good booming business if not there's nobody there um some other things like detroit number 13 market again a team if they're good stadium is always sold out tv ratings are good i think as long as you are a top 40 market and you can field a decent team you're going to have turnout. Oh, you just I think you just hit the right. the key point and 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 what what made me start going down this this uh this path was Miami. Right? My Miami's in the news right now for all the wrong reasons for baseball. But remember, they've won two World Series since since that franchise landed in 93. And they got a fruit basket out of it too. <laughs> they did get a fruit basket. <laughs> maybe the difference here. Maybe the difference is if you win sometimes. Sure. Right? If you manage to to avoid going through Extended periods of dark ages baseball in in increments of time in excess of, you know, five to ten years. Right. If you can avoid that, maybe you can survive being a small market team. And I'm, I will maybe s- I'm burned by Baltimore. And I, and I completely agree with you. Like, the teams in Portland and the team in Charlotte and the team in Montreal may have a more difficult time competing with some powerhouse markets such as New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston. But once you start getting out of those major metropolises— mm-hmm. I do think that you have the ability to kind of somewhat compete. I mean, Boston's at number nine, but then you've got around there Atlanta, Tampa, Phoenix, Detroit, Seattle, Minneapolis, Denver, Orlando, Cleveland. I mean, these, again, are all mid-market teams that I think are going to be in a similar vein to a Nashville or a Charlotte or a Portland, personally. I mean, that's just my personal opinion that there's enough of a market there that they could be successful. Okay. I The bigger question is, if you look at Charlotte, because Charlotte's a key example for me, Charlotte, again, is in that Masson area. So what that pumps up again, it's the aspect of, all right, we are pulling Charlotte in. What does that do with Peter Angelos once again and the whole Masson situation? Do people really watch Nationals games in Charlotte? No. Do people really watch Orioles games in Charlotte? No. Right. But Peter Angelos will make us think about it. Well, he, you know, they took the the pride and joy out of the Masson market uh, away from him. So I'm right. sure they can get the Charlotte area. Listen, I mean, this comes back down to this makes a ton of sense for Major League Baseball's ownership. 
it makes a ton of deal for the players association as well because hey that's more money and also the travel should be significantly reduced too if they're going into a regional format too this is going to happen it's just a matter of when not if it's going to happen my prediction is 2022 2023 we probably get approved for expansion that'll also i think radically change the game oh totally it'll radically change the game because we already can't support a fifth starter with the amount of talent that's there right the amount of pitching talent that's there for 30 teams you can't reliably get a fifth starter in every one of those teams you can't and you're getting to the point whether it's because of you know specialization in, in little league or all throughout college or whatever you're getting to the point where Teams are having a hard time not going with 13 pitchers, you know, not I think, doing the North I think the shuttle. big thing, I think that in this, this perfect example, and I'm glad you brought this up in terms of the shuttle and everything like that, I think this is a clear example where the Players Association will agree to it as long as they expand active rosters to 26 players. Yeah. And if, as they do that, then it comes back to the aspect of now you're getting more to more into a bullpen-heavy game. It's also a situation where you can kind of reach out and say— hey, in order to do this, we really need to kind of dissolve the American League and National League, so we need to go to a universal DH, which means the DH will get adopted, which means that you need another player for active rosters. Yeah, Everything makes sense for this on a business side of 26 players, universal DH, more money in the owner's pockets, more TV deals. It's it's a perfect storm of everything makes sense of it from an economic standpoint. This doesn't matter. It should, but it doesn't matter. Sure. This makes sense for the players this makes sense for the owners money 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 everybody wins except do the fans win does expanding to 32 teams and some of the challenges that you and i just discussed as far as the quality of play at the fringes does it make for better or worse baseball um i i think that it'll be the same thing whenever expansion happens where people will grumble about it um but ultimately the game always has a tendency to evolve into the beautiful thing that is at the very end of the day. So yes, I do think the fans will eventually like it. They may not like it during the first or second year, but eventually they will come to accept it and love it. Sure. I don't really have issues with it other than I just want to make sure that the game can sustain growth. Um, If the right thing for baseball is staying pat or if the right thing for baseball is contracting, you know, I want to make sure that the, that the league is bold enough to do that. Uh, But if, you know, if it's, if it's growing, you know, bless them both. All right, uh, Scotty, one more thing I wanted to talk about, and that is announcements about season tickets. Uh, season ticket prices not going up, <clears throat> which is uh, would have been madness if that were the case. Wait, are we buying season tickets this year? I, I would very much like to. Okay. Um, season ticket right, prices have I'll not changed. Send that money in. Yeah, I thanks guess. a lot. Thanks no a lot. No problem. Um, and there are new perks that were announced. Ooh, perks? New, new perks for season ticket holders. All right. Well, I mean, I, I say new perks for season ticket holders, but there are new tic, uh, new perks for season ticket holders if you're willing to drop the money for an 81 or a 29 game membership. Wow. So let me just, you know, let me just look at the new, uh, new, 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 yep, all 29 and 81s. New uh, gift certificate purchase bonus opportunity, Ooh. Uh, 15% for your 29ers. That sounds nice. 25% for your 81ers. Okay. Uh, 13... Nope. Okay. Um, Pre-sale to select Orioles special events. That sounds awesome. Yeah. For 81, yes. For 29, yes. For... Nope. Okay. Uh, Pre-game on-field access opportunity. I have no idea what that is, but it sounds awesome. I heard that you go on the field and watch batting practice take place. Okay. That would be fun. Pretty cool. It's similar to like they do at the Ravens game, for example, where they pull you on the side... 
and you can watch them warming up, basically. Will Dave Wallace shake your hand? Uh, no, but what's nice about it is uh, you can basically go out when the Yankees are playing. You can basically watch Judge and Stanton basically head bombs over and hit the warehouse. Basically. Oh, you mean the entertaining players? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so that's available to, okay, the 81 guys, the 29, and the third. Nope. Okay. Um, exclusive access to Roof Deck pregame lounge. Whoa, whoa. Can we back up a second here? Yeah. So they have um, a dedicated account representative. And now it's for eighty one twenty nine, but they took it away from the thirteen game plan people. Oh, well, that's fun. Rest in peace, Brad Ritchie. <laughs> um, exclusive access to roof roof uh, deck pregame lounge. That sounds fun. Eighty one, uh, and you know what? Screw you, twenty nine. You don't get it either. Yeah. And thirteen is just a, a prayer and a hope. Uh, swing for your seats event at Oreo Park. That sounds fun. If you are a full member uh, of season tickets ability to purchase giveaway item package this we've been talking about this for years we've talked about this for years and they're only going to give it to full season ticket holders which again how many how many 81 season ticket holder do you think there are i bet you there's like i'm gonna say a thousand if if a thousand i bet you it's a thousand all right i bet you it's a thousand because there's enough corporations and there's enough people that are going to have full season tickets out there I'm getting. I'm. I'm betting it's at least a thousand. Do you think there was anyone on the fence about whether or not to go to an 81 game plan, and they were like, "Oh well, if I get to uh, swing for my seats, of course I will." Mm, maybe Oreo sunglass guy. <laughs> uh, ability. Uh, last one. Preferred pregame seating at Dempsey's. That sounds great. That does sound great, especially during rain delays. If you are an 81 game season ticket holder, um, Scotty. Yes. This year is going to blow. Yes. Wins and losses this year is going to be rough. Yes. Next year is going to be rough. Yes. The year after that, and as many years in the future as I can see, yes. are going to be rough. So why are we buying tickets again? Exactly. That is, my, <laughs> that is my exact point. There is nothing about this plan for the Orioles that helps them in the future. They should be doing everything they can to incentivize people to buy season tickets. They need. They nearly need to behave like a minor league team because th- for a while that's going to be what they put on the field. What can they do, Scotty, to put butts in the seats? What can they do to incentivize people to open up their wallet to go to thirteen or more Orioles games? Um. Besides, of course, putting on a quality uh, product in the field and winning. Oh, we can't do that. Uh, I know. So what else? <laughs> what else can we do? There's only one option then. Buy a bunch of bobbleheads, <laughs> offer them out on the weekends, paint, profit. <laughs> paint them the wrong race. Right. And just profit. Just pure profit, basically. Um, absolutely insane that uh, this is the best that the Orioles can come up with for 13 game plans. And even it comes back down to if you don't want to, you know, give too much to 13 game plans, great. Extend out the packages to even smaller t- ticket plans. Like, for yes. example, back in the dark ages, they used to do the holiday ticket plans where they said, okay, we're going to give a four-game plan or a five-game plan. And I realized there's Dugout Club that's available for parents and children. But, man, what a great gift to get and say, hey, you know, we're offering five games for you to come, and you can have a good time at the park for April or May, and hopefully this entices you to come back and basically buy additional tickets in the future. Yeah, absolutely. But the Orioles are not going to do that. They're going to say, you're either going to lock it to a 13-game, a 29-game plan, or a full season, or you will buy each ticket individually. Makes no sense. I'm sorry. 
In 2012, they did this event in September when they were failing to fill the stadium, even though the Orioles were neck and neck with the Yankees to make the playoffs for the first time as in, you know, forever. And they did this throwback pricing to the 1990s. Do you remember this? Yeah, this was the 1992 pricing where you could sit in the lower deck basically for like, what was it, seven bucks or something like that? It was absurd. Yeah. They need to have events like that. And we used and abused that. I mean, we went to six or seven games in September, like an ungodly amount of games for married men to go to, basically. (laughs) They need, they need, and not to each other, though, Scott, I would certainly uh, wed you on the, on the mound at Camden Yards, but it's my high leg kick, (laughs) (laughs) but they need to do that. Like when, when things go poorly, when the team falls off the edge, they need to pull out all the stops and be like, oh, you want, uh, Dollar uh, hot dog night and and 1992 pricing and get a free T-shirt and a voucher for another game half price and anything else that will bring you to the party. Yeah, they need to do all of that. Right. And frankly, I think that they should be starting now. I think they should be starting now and locking people in before the disappointment sets in. Absolutely. The, pre- the preseason is the time to get people in before the bait and switch. Right. And it, but it still comes back down to, we've talked about this before, of if they could do it before the holidays, they'd be so much better. But again, they always seem to be late to the game. Like, they're always just like, oh, I guess we finally decided, like, this should have been decided in July or August of last year saying, what are we going to do with tex- tickets? And instead, the notice comes out in, you know, the beginning of January saying, oh, so we finally decided that we're going to keep ticket prices the same. No, that information should have been done announce as soon as the season's over saying hey we're not raising prices here are the packages we're offering next year we hope that you come back and support the Baltimore Orioles in 2018 and i feel like i'm being negative here right and these are small simple things to do this goes back to this week on the twitters like i have been so frustrated reading the twitters thinking to myself like i just want objectively good news Right. I, I just like I feel like I'm being crappy with the team because something will come out on Twitter from the from the team or one of the beat writers and be like, yeah, great. Fantastic. I just want objectively good news to be to come out. And, and with this is the same thing. I don't mean to crap on the Orioles. I'm a season ticket holder. I love going to baseball games. I love the Orioles. I, I just want them to a do things that make other people excited about the team because not everybody has an illness like me. Sure. And two, I want them to do things that make good business sense. I didn't like all the elbow room at Camden Yards during the dark ages. I want other people to come and enjoy baseball too. Fix it. Jake, um, I got to be honest with you. Hmm. Uh, I'm sensing a lot of anger. <laughs> so what I want you to do is I want you to calm down a little bit. All right. I've uh, laid a new fainting couch down in SD Studios. If you could uh, go ahead and lay down that. What's that mark on it? Uh, n- no comment. Just okay. go ahead and lay down. Close your eyes. I'm going to turn the lights down a little bit. And... Um, we're going to get to the bottom of this, okay? So, Jake, uh, as we talked about, um, I was sensing a lot of anger, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. So um, we began this off season uh, on a journey, as it were, as it is all, every off season. And we came into uh, this Baltimore Orioles offseason with, um, well, a, a plan, as it were, of saying, hey, you know, the Orioles should go out and get some starting pitching. And, you know, if they were really smart, they'd go get Lorenzo Cain, who, by the way, is still available, Baltimore Orioles. 
um, and could be a significant upgrade to their outfield and on base percentage and everything else that the Orioles basically need. Um, nothing happened based on that. And um, let's just say there were uh, philosophical differences with the Baltimore Orioles in our opinions. And lack of philosophical participation. Right. By uh, the way, this couch is great. And uh, by doing so, um, we had a conversation about this at the last show um, about um, the lack of direction for the Baltimore Orioles and not making a move. And, of course, I was very angry. And I think that that anger is starting to come out in you as well in terms of um, the frustration that you are feeling with the direction of uh, the Baltimore Orioles. And I've been giving this a lot of thought because the talk that you gave me on the last podcast of being like, hey, they're still our team. We need to embrace them no matter what. And, and you know what? You are right about that. But I think we also need to take a step back and realize deep inside um, that, in, in essence, we are – at this moment going through the five stages of grief. So what? The five stages of grief, Jake. So uh, psychologically, there are five stages of grief. Um, The first uh, stage is denial, um, where basically you do not admit that you, there's a problem or there's going to be an issue. So this is similar to when we denied that um, the Orioles were uh, basically going to have to go into a rebuild mode. And we basically said, Oh, they're going to go to Lorenzo Cain. They're going to get started pitching and they're going to rebuild. And maybe they'll get a chance to sound Manny Machado. Foolish we were, but again, we were, you know, in denial at that time. And then, Jake, anger has been leashed out. I basically raged on the Orioles last podcast. And, Jake, you have even shown a little bit of anger in terms of your Orioles fandom on this podcast. So, Jake, we are now at the third stage of grief as per Baltimore Orioles fans. And, Jake, we are at the bargaining stage. So, Jake, I ask you this question. When Manny Machado needs to be removed from the Baltimore Orioles? Jeez. What would you accept back as an acceptable return if you were bargaining basically to be consoled at this time? Okay. First, this couch is staying in the studio, right? Yes. Because it's a winner. It is very comfortable. You should see what I stepped it with. I don't want to see what's on the other side of the cushion. But uh, secondly, I reject your premise. Okay. I reject your premise because when we talk about bargaining for Manny Machado, when we talk about what we could get... I reject the premise that there is an answer that will not simply lead to additional anger. I don't want to be caught, Scott, in a circle in the anger stage. Manny Machado should have either already been traded or already signed because we have passed the point at which we can get anything that will come even close to satisfying me. I will be fair with the Orioles to say that all they can do from here is the best they can do from here, but they shouldn't have gotten themselves here. They have Manny Machado. Manny Machado is a great player. And they are going to do one of two things at this point. Fail to get anything of use for them because they waited too long. Or let him play out his contract and fail to get anything for him, period. And I regard both as being suboptimal. So I don't even know, Scott. I don't know how to bargain my way out of this one. Is there anything the Orioles can do at this point to make you satisfied with the direction that they're going to be taking with Manny Machado. Absolutely. With Manny Machado. Yes. Okay. But that thing is the thing that they are incapable of doing. Oh, spending money. No. (laughs) No. Well, yes. Yes. If they were to re-sign Manny Machado, if here's the thing, if they were to re-sign Manny Machado, even to the point where later they had some money troubles, uh, i.e. Chris Davis. Yes. I would say to myself, you don't not sign Manny Machado. That's just a thing you don't do. Um, but no, the thing that they could do uh, that they simply do not do, it's out of character, is 
find a horseshoe in an anatomically unlikely place in the fact that they trade away Manny Machado for some tier two, you know, secondary prospects. And one of them turns out to be awesome. You know, one of them turns out to just be unreal. Nobody knew that was going to happen, but that's not what this club does. That, that doesn't happen for us. That is what the club used to do though. Yeah. Have you been paying attention lately? I, I have been paying attention lately, but we did do that in the past when we were in a rebuild mode. Okay. And sometimes it worked. Sometimes it really didn't work. I don't trust them to get lucky. You can take that anywhere you want. I just teed that right up. I, I, get the drive. I'm just going to let it just stay there. So, but again, so there's, is there anything at all? Like if the Orioles were to go get, I mean, is there a top 100 prospect that you would have to get? Is, but there's nothing that's going to satisfy you. It's no. just, you're just going to return to anger. Yeah. Let me ask you this though, Scott. Sure. Reasonably. Yeah. Thinking, thinking in all honesty. Yeah. Do you think that the Orioles can hope to get anybody in a deal for Manny Machado that is of better quality than, say, they are picking up in the Rule 5 draft? Yes. Okay. You, you think that today, with his value as such, you, you think that you can get a real prospect back? I think you could get a top 100 prospect back, yes. Okay. Do you think that is enough for Manny Machado? Uh, for the current situation that Manny Machado is in with one year left, yes. All right. You are willing to be a lot more reasonable than I am. Yeah, I mean... Newsflash. I, yeah. I mean, my opinion is, I mean, everyone wants the moon for Manny Machado, but in reality, you have him for one year. And I know the Orioles are coming back and say, we want two major league ready starting pitchers ready to go to get Manny Machado, which is a foolish sure. aspect. I mean, that's not going to happen. But if you were to get back, let's say... Let's say an Eric Bedard kind of trade where you were to get a Chris Tillman and an Adam Jones. You would take that trade any day. In a heartbeat. But you don't know whether it's going to be a Chris Tillman or an Adam Jones is the big aspect. Yeah. But you need to have that prospect basically latitude saying, I'm willing to take back, you know, a top 100 prospect and a prospect outside the top 100 that may show upside. You would do that any day. And sometimes that trade's going to work. A lot of times that trade's not going to work. But you make that trade because you hit the upside potential that could happen. Similarly, you know, you look back at like a Koji Uehara. Again, not much there, but you're willing to trade an Eric Bedard for a Chris Davis-like player and see what happens. Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, you basically are saying, yep, it probably won't pan out, but I'm willing to do it. And that's the kind of risk that the Orioles need to take is they need to say, it's not going to be the best we're going to ever get, and we probably could have gotten better at an earlier point, but you know what? This has enough upside based off our scouting that we think we can make something work with this. And it may not be an uh, uh, an equal value situation where it was one-to-one, but you know what? It's good enough, basically. I just, again, to their credit, they're trying all they can now, having made the, I I think, previous error. But I'm just not willing to spot them my, uh, my indulgence for that failure. Sure, sure. I, and I think... That's ultimately what Orioles fans are going to be bargaining with pretty much for this rest of this year is they're going to be coming into the season and saying, you know, what have the Orioles done to really satisfy me as a fan moving forward and basically set themselves up to basically say, I am willing to embark and be a part of the process during a future dark ages. And if they don't go about any process and you're just going to waddle into the season once again, I think that's the bargaining that Orioles fans are looking for. They're not looking for something to be foolproof, but as you pointed out in your previous segment, 
you're just looking for the URLs to do something in order to make make you basically say, at least you're doing something. And if it doesn't work, I'm okay with it. Do you think that it's meaningful? By the to, way, you just opened your tonic water. I, I did. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just trying to be all subtle about it. Yeah. Do you think that they can do something? This is what, this is my, I'm in anger. Yes. Um, do you think they can do something meaningful with Manny Machado without committing to a rebuild? No. See, that's the thing. I here I've heard we're dealing with. I've heard minute. comments of we could trade Manny away and we could go sign Mike Mustakis, which I, I don't get whatsoever. I mean, I, I just don't see that. I mean, I'd rather go into rebuild and then just say, you know, maybe a few years down the line we can go out and sign another, you know, top player such as like a Nolan Arenado or right. someone like that, and just say, we missed on our chance to have a Hall of Fame type player in Manny Machado for $300 million, but we're going to make that big offer now to this player because because we have a higher degree of confidence and we like his character. And I wouldn't say it's in the same category, but I would also point out like the Orioles have kind of done this before with like Miguel Tejada coming off his MVP sure. season with the, the with the athletics. Again, wasn't... I wouldn't say a top 10 player, but definitely a good enough player where you'd be like, yep, we're willing to invest a ton of money into him. And I, I think that the Orioles could do that and say, we're going to rebuild for the next three to five years, and then we're going to be able to invest a significant amount of money as long as there's a farm system behind us that makes us want to invest said money. And I think that if you're willing to accept less than you should get, in my opinion, for Manny Machado, then you should also say, all right, what's the best we can get for Jones? Right. Right. What, what's the best, shoot, what's the best we can get for scope? Right. Right. Let's, let's just do this. I don't think the Orioles should tank, but if they're going to rebuild, do it. Right. And that's exactly right. And that comes back to my point of, if they have not extended that arbitration to scope and Gosman, I'd say, okay, we're going to hold off as long as possible. If we can't figure something out with Machado, we'll be trading Britain and we'll be trading, trading Machado. And then we're going to try to either say, all right, scope, we're either going to extend you or we're going to have to consider what our options are going into the season. And unfortunately, it's a very Marlins-esque scenario, but you're going to have to start getting prospects for people and rebuilding the farm system. You're telling me I can get a gift basket out of the deal? You can get a gift basket out of the deal. So, Scott, I'm in anger. Okay. I'm not willing to go to depression. It sounds like you're a little bit in bargaining, though, saying you're willing to accept that a rebuild may be necessary. I I think for me, my my third uh, step is actually gin. Okay. And then I will go right to depression. Okay. So we're just going to skip right by bargaining. So it's going to be... I will leave. I will leave bargaining for clearer heads. I am clearly too emotional and not level-headed enough for so, it. So, as Orioles fans, we're going from anger to gin mm-hmm. to pretty much depression. Yes. Okay. And we may cycle back between depression and gin. You know what? A few times. That actually does sound very Orioles baseball-like. So I'm okay with it. A gin okay Palmer. All right, Jake. Uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, blow the save to end this show? All right, Scotty, I'm going to blow the save. Okay, if you if you will. Um, looking around SD Studios, the couch wasn't the only new thing that caught my eye tonight. Oh, you saw the stains. Uh, well, you know, yeah. Frankly, you show a leg like that too. Also caught my eye. But no, I noticed something on the shelf that I wanted to bring attention to. Um, you have a brick here uh, with a little gold plaque on it. It says Memorial Stadium, Baltimore, Maryland. 1949 to 1997. Time will not dim the glory of their deeds. Um, this is a brick from 
Memorial Stadium. Yes, it is. Where did you get this brick? Found that at a flea market, uh, and uh, there was a guy selling it for, and he didn't have a price tag. I was like, how much? And he said, how much do you want? And I was like, I don't know, five bucks. And he says, done. And we kind of got into a hefty conversation about how he sold me a brick for five bucks. And I'm like, I still think it's pretty cool that it's a brick from Memorial Stadium. I don't think this is a brick from Memorial Stadium. I think this is a brick that somebody uh, paid a lot of uh, a lot of money to slap a, a little sting. Who is going to sell their Memorial Stadium brick? I guess someone that's just trying to get rid of stuff. How much how much space does a brick take? It's just heavy. I mean, if you don't have anything for it, I guess people are just looking to get rid of it. It came with a certificate of authenticity, which was not written on a Kleenex like I thought it would. No, um, that was surprising since I got it at the Dundalk Flea Market. So. <laughs> This is really cool. Yeah, I, th- I'm I thought so it was pretty cool. You know, I'm not really into tchotchkes and stuff. Yeah. This is really awesome. But I would totally yeah. I would totally buy this at the Dundalk Flea Market. I think that's a pretty cool, like, little memento. I mean, people, you've seen people with, like, the Mormon Museum, like, um, bleacher seats and stuff like that. But, again. I may have one in my basement. Right. But, again, I think it's cool just to have a little memento of some history from, um, from Baltimore, not just in terms of the Orioles, but also the Colts in the past as well. I like I said, I'm really not into to, into memorabilia. As Scott mentioned, I have a I have a seat from Memorial Stadium. I would like to know, uh, Birdland, what is your coolest bit of Orioles memorabilia, or you know, Baltimore sports memorabilia? So uh, tweet us on that. We're we're on the twitters. Um, I'd also like to make a plea in the in the uh, first segment where we were talking about uh, perks. You know, I threw out some of my my you know '90s day uh, ideas. What what perks do you want to see for season ticket holders? So we're asking for some feedback this week. One, what what perks for season ticket holders uh, would be worthwhile? And two, what's your coolest piece of memorabilia? And uh, and with that, Scott Magnus. That is our show. Thank goodness. Remember, you can find this and all of our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birdseyeview is available for download wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. But please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time, especially during these dark, dark times. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball. We really other, do. With other diehard fans, email us at contact at com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And that, that's it. So, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Hey, Baltimore. Be safe out there. Good night. That's all I got. No, let's go O's. Nah. Too angry for that? Too angry for that. <laughs> Still holding on to him. I'm going to bargain my way up to saying let's go O's again. You know what? In a month, something interesting might have happened. Yeah, everyone else would have signed with the other teams. <laughs> I mean, it'll be pitchers and catchers next time we get together. Yeah, and then we have the long aspect of spring training. <laughs> Enjoy the gin. It's over. Go home.
Chao.